this gospel lesson from the gospel according to Matthew, the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 46. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us this day. Amen. Hear now this holy word of the gospel of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered among him, and he will separate people one from another, as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand, and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for you by the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care for you? And he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yikes, I, I think the further we read into the passage, the more you started to squirm in your seats. But I'm not sure about you, but my experience growing up, we didn't talk about God's judgment a lot in church. We sometimes brush off God talk about judgment, ignoring it because it's uncomfortable for us. And I suspect those of us who don't enjoy talking about God's judgment worry that if we do, it would somehow interfere with this image of God we have who has abundant love for us. But here we are on this Christ the King Sunday announcing the reign of Christ once again, 
And we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. Judgment talk seems unavoidable. And while it's difficult to talk about judgment, I think framing judgment in a certain way expresses God's love toward us. What do I mean by that? Well, if it weren't for God's judgment, it would mean God is indifferent to the grave injustices and sufferings we face throughout the world. Rabbi Abraham Heschel puts it this way in speaking about prophetic speeches on behalf of God. The wrath of God, he says, is a lamentation. All prophecy is one great exclamation. God is not indifferent to evil. God is always concerned. God is personally afflicted and affected by what humans do to humans. God's wrath, God's judgment on cases of injustice and wrongs in the world show God's ruthless passion and care for the least, the last, and the lost. Perhaps this helps us frame our parable today. When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? That question posed by the disciples just one chapter earlier from our gospel reading this morning sets the scene into which we enter today. In response, Jesus poses a parable. A king is seated on his throne, and all the nations are gathered among him. He separates them into two groups, sheep on the right, goats on the left. Looking towards the right, he motions them to come closer. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. To those on the left, the words are, one could say, a bit harsher. You who are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. But why such different judgments? As you'll recall, it's a matter of action or lack of action. Were those who were hungry fed or were their stomachs left empty? Were those who were thirsty given water or did their lips remain parched? Was the stranger welcomed, or were they turned away? Were those who were naked clothed, or were they left without shirts on their back? Were those who were sick cared for, or left to suffer? And those in prison, were they visited, or altogether avoided because of their otherness? Even after such judgment is rendered upon the goats in this parable, they still don't seem to get it. Lord, when, when was it? They asked. When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? A stranger. When was it? You can almost imagine the goats in the parable replaying their lives and their mind, trying to figure out when the king was in these situations. You've told us this, but we don't remember. I didn't see you. If I had known it was you, I would have stopped. The goats turned the blame around on the king himself. If you had revealed yourself to us, we would have stopped to help you. If they knew what was on the test, they would have studied 
But a paradox presents itself. Little did these goats know that for each person they passed by, it had been the king himself. These goats could have encountered the king had they been able to see him in the least among them. But they were doing what came naturally to them. Perhaps sometimes what happens naturally to us, looking out not for the least, the last, and the lost, but making sure they were the best, the first, and the noticed. We learn something of the goat's relationship with the king. While they might see the king as the powerful one among them, they don't understand him, his ways of love, his care and mercy and justice. They see him as the king that they want to see, strong and powerful and influential, well-connected, wealthy. The list goes on, but they don't understand who he really is. The sheep, on the other hand, present a different story. I'm curious if in our gospel reading you noticed that, like the goats, the sheep asked the king the same question. Lord, when was it? The first few times I read through the passage, I didn't notice it at first. Same question, different tone. The tone of the question is different. The implications of the question are different. Rather than asking in a way like the goats that seems to say, if we had known it was you, we would have stopped. The sheep asked the question in a different way. You see, the sheep had actually been engaging the marginalized, the least in society. Their actions were steeped in compassion, not even aware that the king who was now judging them would somehow be among the dirty and the destitute. They weren't thinking of a potential award or benefits for themselves. They were doing the work that they had been called to do. Lord, when was it? This also presents a paradox. The sheep didn't see the king because they weren't looking for the king in particular. They were too busy attending to the needs in front of them. And in attending to those needs, they saw the king, but just in ways that they didn't expect. The sheep, in the context of this parable, were working outside of the normal framework of their society. In the ancient world, you see, there was this economy of patronage. Who gave gifts and who owed debts? Who supported and who was supported? These types of questions were the questions which ordered relationships, the type of questions which put people in their correct places in society. Kind of sounds familiar. So why would anyone want to give anything to somebody if they knew they couldn't pay it back? It seems foolish, right? At least that's what the social order of the day would say. Perhaps that sounds familiar to us too. The sheep, however, have been hard at work ignoring this framework in order to work on behalf of their neighbors, in order to live into the teachings of Jesus presented earlier in his gospel, in his Sermon of the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Matthew is trying to build up these themes throughout. 
The goats, though, well, they have been, one could say, individuals of the institution. They knew how society worked. They were trying their best to come out on top. For if they had known they would be tested, they too would have strived to get all of the answers right. But their intentionality would have been oh so wrong. So it's easy then, right? A few bottles of water, a couple of donations to a thrift store, a mission trip or two. If we do these things, maybe that'll get us into the sheep pen. What do you think? These can be good things, yes. And we've talked about this as Pastor Kevin walked us through a sermon series of When Helping Hurts. But in this context, it doesn't seem that easy. I would say we would also have to identify our intentionality. Are our intentions to get a reward in the end? Is our intentionality of helping the other so we don't end up like a goat? If it is, then we already are. So often our intent behind doing things is to make us feel better so we can show others just how good and how righteous we are. But if those are the reasons we're doing these things, the parable's got us and has already called us a goat. Guilty. Anyone else? So what are we to do? Just like the sheep in the parable, we too were called to work outside of the normal framework of the society we temporarily inhabit. If you'll recall several weeks ago, I preached about how we hold dual citizenship as Christians. We have a complex identity. We are those who live in lands governed by principalities and powers, yet we are called to pledge allegiance to Christ the King. Our living becomes a balancing act. What the world tells us is right and good and that which we should strive for is often in direct contrast to the values and the ethics of the kingdom of God. Just as we see in the Beatitudes, Matthew 5. This is what Matthew has been teaching us throughout his gospel. We recall those words of Jesus in Matthew 4. The kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is an already but not yet. It is the reality of what is to come, but also that which is here among us now. So we have to be engaging our kingdom identities, living out the ethics of the kingdom here and now in the midst of the worldly places that we inhabit. Which identity will we choose? I know which one's easier. Living out a kingdom ethic, embodying a kingdom identity starts with recognizing, announcing the reign of Christ in our lives. In order to see how we must live, we must recognize whom we follow, who sets our example. As Christians, this is supposed to be Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, we recognize his authority over our lives, submitting to continually living into the life that he has modeled for us. We should be striving to become like our king. But the paradox of the kingdom of Christ is that our king isn't like other authorities with whom we are familiar here on earth. 
at least in my observations. See, Christ the King doesn't live in some far-off residence unaware of the needs of his people, eating cake whilst the people starve, protected by walls and fences while innocent individuals are hurt and abused, jetted off to the best hospitals and physicians whilst the people struggle to pay their health care premiums. Nor does he don the finest silks and jewels while others mend tattered shirts struggling to find a jacket for the cold weather. The king we worship isn't distant and aloof, detached from the needs of the people. He is a king who lives among us, living on the margins of society so unrecognizable that those who serve among the least and the last cannot recognize him because he is joined in their struggle. Christ the king defies our worldly expectations of what we think a king ought to be. And frankly, sometimes what we want a king to be. Yet as Christians, this is who we must recognize as the one whom we follow. We commit ourselves to following Christ. We engage in knowing him more and more each day. In church talk, these are acts of piety. We read, we pray. We worship together publicly. We engage scriptures in preaching and teaching. We meet God sacramentally. For when we do this, we recognize our communal relationship with God. Through baptism, we respond and receive God's grace, nourished and sustained through water. Entering into a deeper relationship with God. Through communion, we receive God's grace, nourished and sustained through bread and wine. Engaging in these acts of devotion, of worship to God, we come to understand who Christ is. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, would call this moving on towards Christian perfection. We are being made holy. We are coming to understand who God is and growing in greater love of God. But the kingdom ethic doesn't stop at desiring and committing to know whom we follow. Rather, in coming to understand the king we follow, Christ the king, we come to live out our responsibility towards one another. These are acts of mercy. They demonstrate our love of neighbor by caring for the least, the last, and the lost, while using the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression throughout our world. Remember those words of your baptism feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned, caring for the sick. Sound familiar? Acts of mercy. But how does doing these things not amount to works righteousness? How do I know my doing of these things are not motivated by an end reward? Because our, our love of neighbor springs from our love of God. Piety and mercy, love of God and love of neighbor are linked they are inseparable. Our love of neighbor will flow naturally from our love of God. When we seek to know and understand God, our lives become modeled around God's life. Our lives, our actions toward another, they become what God does through us because we know and love God. These are our kingdom ethics. So often in contrast to the ethics of the world that sometimes we often want. 
Yet as Christians, this is how we're called to live, called to worship a king who defies societal norms and serve others rather than ourselves on account of such love. And so as we grapple with this dual identity of kingdom citizens and human beings, it's my hope that we'll go forward today continually and intentionally stepping outside of the confines of our societal norms, embodying the love of Christ in the world, utilizing our kingdom currencies. Remember several weeks ago, our prayers, our presence, gifts, service, witness. Good. Our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, all of which are given value through our ever-deepening love of God. In doing so, we participate continually drawing the kingdom near, closer to us each day, catching little glimpses of it, so that we may show others that what the world calls upside down, that the world calls upside down versions of the kingdom is actually a vision of the world turned right side up. May it be so, now and forever. Let us pray. God of perfect love, you call us to be perfect even as you are perfect. Such a monumental claim upon our lives despite the fact that this call to be completely conformed to the image of Christ, to be absolutely Christ-like in our lives, is offensive to many, perhaps even offensive to us. Let us strive to open our lives to the power of your perfecting love, that we become daily more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, our King, and that in your love of us and our love for you, we come to be as loving as you in every relationship and at all times and in all the places of the world until Christ comes once again in glory. We ask all of this in your most holy name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, world without end.